Only Three Lads is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast family, home to some of the best music podcasts on the planet. Visit PantheonPodcast.com to discover more. And if you like what we do on O3L, we kindly ask you to please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now. It really helps us more than you know. Welcome to episode eight of the Only Three Lads podcast, where we take a look at the golden age of alternative music from 1974 to 1999. Today, we'll be taking a look at our top five albums of 1988. Of course, we have Brett, our resident musician, and I'm going to start calling you Ambassador Bueno because you're our ambassador. Yes. What do you mean? Why is that? Because you do reach out, you make a lot of friends, and you're bringing a lot of people to the Only Three Lads podcast. I'm trying to do for all of us to keep us all together and through this uh, craziness that we all have to live through every day and just sending out love as much as I can to everybody. Yes, we want to thank everybody for showing up today. Of course, we're all escaping this coronavirus, the COVID-19. Make sure and tell your friends we're on all kinds of uh, platforms for podcasting like Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, and of course, the iHeartRadio app. And in 1988, guys, what do you remember from that year most? You know, I remember the charts being full of glossy pop music and like, you know, Michael Jackson and George Michael kind of led the charge, Madonna, and I I love all those artists. Uh, Personally, I remember the resurgence of George Harrison. He was riding off of his 1987 uh, Cloud Nine album and then uh, by the end of the year, the Traveling Wilburys' first album was released. Right. So that filled my Beatle love and heart with joy. Heck yeah. Um, another thing about 1988, it's probably the greatest year in rap music history. And I could actually probably put together a pretty nice top five exclusively with uh, some of the classic rap albums. But don't worry, I did not. But uh, <laughs> but definitely there are some, some exciting things happening left of center that we'll talk about today. Heck yeah. And Buena, what about you? Uh, this is a pretty weird year, uh, top to bottom. Uh, there was just, for me, it kind of like bounced like a bad roller coaster for me. But uh, otherwise, uh, you know, it, it was fun. There was a lot of good music, you know, a lot of good stuff that came out that year. And, uh, you know, I would never discard great music. Uh, yeah, that's kind of how I felt about 1998. And hopefully 1988, too. And, and 1988. So I pulled, yeah, see, it's uh, addictive. I mean, see, it is. See, you see what I did to you, Bueno? Yeah, see? And, and I was I, looking I, right I gradu- at it, too. So, <laughs> well, well, I graduated high school in 1988, so that's probably my biggest uh, memory of that year. Of course, the crack epidemic started that year. And the big thing, remember Ben Johnson? He won gold at the Seoul Olympics, and oh, it was yeah. taken away, and we yeah. all learned about steroids. That was, of course, in 1988. That guy was right that he was. he was very fast he was so fast yeah. i loved watching that boy they were all on it probably at the time he just yeah, got yeah. caught and of course the biggest thing in music that year as you said george michael dirty dancing soundtrack tiffany even had a big year that year yeah i met tiffany in 1988 look at you well she was the girlfriend of a uh of an acquaintance i love when that happens nice and what was she like <laughs> okay well you know at least you got <laughs> well, sometimes to see her. they're like that <laughs> yeah. 
All right, well, let's get started with our top five albums of 1988. Bueno, this week, you're going first. This one here is a pretty cool band from Iceland, um, alternative rock group called the Sugar Cubes. The record I love from them that year is uh, Life's Too Good. It was released in April of uh, 88. Got that right this time around. And uh, by uh, uh, one little uh, India and UK and Europe and... Uh, by Electra Records in the United States. This album was an unexpected success and brought international attention to the band, especially with, of course, lead singer we all know, Bjork, who would launch yes. an incredible solo career in 1993. So the band took the elements of punk sound that characterized the scene intending to create a humongous take on pops of optimism, which is reflected in the studio's uh, title album. Uh, despite never having intended to take it seriously and because of the success of their album and the contractual agreements they had the uh, sugar cubes went on to release two more future studio albums and you know while recording this record the uh, the group had uh, befriended howard thompson who worked at electro records but he orchestrated a licensing deal that life's too good was released in the united states They proved to be their very first major uh, successful American uh, radio program in the sense that they, they constantly played that, that song all the time, crossing over into mainstream radio and the band's frustration with the U.S. media focused completely on Bjork at that point. And by the end of 88, the Sugar Cubes uh, undertook an American tour, which evolved into an international tour, you know, just catapulted their album sales. I mean, incredible. Life's Too Good has generated a dedicated following, and now it actually has a really good uh, cult of classic following, and the album help uh, regarding the Sugar Cubes is one of the biggest rock bands to emerge from Iceland, and I don't know if anybody's heard this, but there is definitely a hidden masterpiece on this record that didn't receive much airplay, and that's actually my favorite, uh, Delicious Demons. And this is a great song, and, and give, give it a spin. If, and if you've heard Motor Crash, too, uh, from top to bottom here, this is an incredible record. And that's my number five, Sugar Cubes. Uh, life's too good. Oh, bueno. You know, good. So uh, great record. What a cool, quirky little record. Love it. All right. Well, I'm at number five, and we've been talking about this, guys. The great thing about the Only Three Lads podcast is that we are discovering new music from each other. Uh, the listeners and people who are going on Facebook are introducing new music to us. And again, sometimes I know some of this music, but I go back and listen to it when Bueno or Brett, you one of you guys talk about it. And of course, we're different than we were 25 years ago. Uh, what we believe and what we stand for now is different. So when you go back and listen to these songs, sometimes it takes you back to that place when you didn't have a mortgage and you didn't have you know problems and you didn't have an ex-wife or whatever it is, ex-husband. And then you go back and listen to these songs and they mean something different or you discover something new about them. So I got to check out that Sugar Cube song that you were just talking about. Oh, it's about. incredible. No, she's just amazing. So that whole album, you got to check out. All right. Well, I will do that. 
But here's my number five of the top five albums of 1988. I know that you guys, this was not on any of your list, but it was their sophomore album called Lincoln. They might be giants. Now the band is still together, uh, but this band early on MTV, that's where I discovered them. And it's nothing serious. It's just a fun little album. If you're feeling sad, you could listen to these songs, but they might be giants. It's really, of course, uh, John Flansburg and John Linnell. They fused pop, rock, nerd rock, alt rock, post-punk, jazz, R&B. And they put out 22 albums since the band formed in 1982. Again, MTV is where I first discovered them. Like Birdhouse? They even put out Birdhouse. Yeah, well, there was a bunch of them. This was their second album. And then, of course, they put out some other ones. I actually drove this band around in the mid-90s. My dad used to wear their merch. It was funny because you would see my dad going to work and there might be giant shirt. um, But they were great. Um, They were doing a show for us at the radio station. So for two days, basically, I picked them up from the airport, carried all their equipment. And, uh, you know, this is when they didn't, they had a band instead of just the drum machine. And they started with the drum machine. And it was pretty cool. Got to hang out with them for two days. Uh, they used to like to play good cop, bad cop. Can, can you guys guess who the bad cop was? <laughs> Probably you. Landsberg. No, it wasn't me. But uh, <laughs> I had a really good time with these guys for like two days. And they thanked me by giving me a bunch of merch. And so that's why my dad wore it. They'll need a crane. They'll need a crane to pick the broken ruins up again. To mend her heart, to help them start, to see a world apart from pain. Lad's gal is all he has. Gal's gladness hangs upon the love of lad, the love of lad. Uh, but if you ever just have to have a fun album, having a bad day, put on a They Might Be Albums, uh, or excuse me, put on a They Might Be Giants album. And if you put on Lincoln, you're going to smile. So that's my number five, Lincoln from They Might Be Giants. Well, they might be albums too. Yeah. How about Flood? <laughs> Didn't they do Flood? They did. Oh, that's like one of my favorites. Yeah, what, early 90s? Yeah. Yeah. And don't forget their greatest accomplishment, because I remember from my son being little, they did the Higley Town Heroes theme song on the Disney Channel. <laughs> okay. Well, they have two go. albums, two children albums that went gold. It was, uh, uh, let's see, their uh, ABC. Uh, here comes the ABCs. Yeah, here here comes the ABCs, and here comes the one, two, threes, or two separate albums, and then they have uh, Here Comes Science, and yeah. they all went gold. So, yeah. uh, you know, your kids probably know them better than you now, but back in the '80s, we all knew them as they might be giants. All right, Brett, you're up. Yeah. All right. Well, my number five is from the mind of the original lead singer of pre-fame Duran Duran. Do we know who that is? Simon LeBon? Nope. It is the artist formerly known as Stephen Tintin Duffy and his band The Lilac Time. So Duffy is best remembered for his UK number four hit and US radio mainstay in 1985 with the synth pop-tastic Kiss Me. You know, kiss me with your mouth. Your love is sweeter than wine, etc., etc. In 1986, uh, Duffy took a left turn and formed the pastoral folk pop band The Lilac Time with his brother and a friend. And, all right, bueno, you may uh, you may catch me on this one, so I'm going to out myself. Uh, they released okay. their self-titled debut on a small label in late 1987, but then were subsequently picked up by Fontana Records, and the album was completely remixed, and the version that made my list was released worldwide in 1988. 
This album sounds nothing like his pedigree new wave past. It's a delicate mix of acoustic strums, piano, mandolin, and harmonies suggesting that he may have been listening to his fair share of Nick Drake. And the album surely must have been heard by the likes of Bell and Sebastian and most of the Sarah Records roster. The continuity with Duffy's past work is that he still has an ear for a well-crafted song regardless of the idiom. album didn't set the charts on fire, spawning three singles that reached the very bottom of the UK hit parade, and I'm talking like in the 80s and 90s of the top 100 chart, but its influence could be heard either directly or indirectly in a lot of the indie folk rock that followed. Oh, and if this album's more primitive 1987 mix disqualifies it, then I will go, I'll draw off my rap list and I'll go with the complete opposite and throw Ultra Magnetic MC's bonkers hip-hop classic critical beatdown into the ring. But I think I can make a good case for the Lilac time as belonging to 1988. So that's my number five choice. Yeah, it's an 88. The album that uh, that I know and love is definitely 88. Yeah. So you have the Bueno stamp of approval. All right, Brenna, we're up to number four of our top five albums of 88. What is on your list at number four? I think you guys think that this is this might be the crossover, one of them. So it's uh, this is our sixth studio album. It's an American rock band released on November 7th, 1988 by Warner Brothers Records. And they're the type of band that uh, continues to explore political issues, both in the lyrics and the packaging form the band experienced on this album, writing major rock songs, incorporating new instruments into their sound, Anybody Got a Guess, including the mandolin, as well as you know, switching their original instruments on other songs. And it's a green by R.E.M. I had that, yes. I didn't hear you. So, uh, upon its release, Green was a critical and commercial success. To promote Green, the band embarked on an 11-month world tour, releasing four singles from the album, Orange Crush Stand, Pop Song 89, and my favorite is uh, Get Up. The, the, the title of the album is Green. The cover work is, is amazing. It's uh, actually orange in color, and this was changed to a lighter shade of yellow for some versions of the CD and cassette tape. And the reason for this is that staring at the orange image for uh, several seconds and then closing one eye causes a green negative image to appear. When viewed in this manner, the cover art appears to look like green grass pretty crazy. Green ultimately went double platinum in the U.S., uh, hit number 27. In the U.K., Orange Crush became the R.E.M.'s first American number one single on both mainstream water rock charts. And, you know, they actually toured extensively through 89, uh, begin work on their 1991 Out of Time album, Green Has Gone Platinum. It sold 4 million copies worldwide, and uh, Kurt Cobain uh, listed it in his top 50 albums of all time. 
In 89, Sounds ranked the album number 62 in the list of the top 80 albums from the 80s. And that is my number four, R.E.M. Green. Bueno, I thought that would be a crossover, too. Yes. And I looked at that. That was right after they left IRS Records. Is yes, that sir. correct? Yep. 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 First major label. But I just love that album. I mean, I could play that over and over and not get sick of it. It's just an amazing piece of work. A lot of great songs on that album. So here we go with my number four. It came out in April 1988. The album is Starfish, the band, The Church. Now, of course, this is the album that led to the breakthrough U.S. success for the band, The Church. Uh, The songs that most people know are going to be Milky Way and Reptile. But that introduced me to this band, this album. This is the crossover. Oh, here we go. This is the crossover. Let's see where where it lands of the top five albums of 88. And you want to buy the hand. Should have stopped this long. Go, go now. You've been set free. Another month or so you'll be gorging on me. That's my number four, The Church, Starfish. Brett, you're up with your number four. Hey, great album. That that almost made my list. It does not cross over with me, though. Oh, cool. Wow. In the uh, high 80s era of synthesizers and booming drum machines, I guess my list is a little slanted towards more organic sounding albums today. Uh, my number four pick is Fisherman's Blues by The Water Boys, released in October 1988. Great album. It is a great album. Oh. Over the course of three grandiose, almost symphonic albums, perfecting the self-defined big music, The Water Boys disappeared from the album racks for three years. During that time, leader Mike Scott moved from his native Scotland to Ireland and regrouped with, as Scott calls it, an expanded quote-unquote raggle-taggle band influenced by country, gospel, and Irish-Scottish English and American folk music. The album cover is very telling in itself. It features a shot of a group of slightly disheveled musicians in front of a house in the Irish countryside with their guitars, accordions, and mandolins. Though there's a certain casualness, looseness, and spontaneity to the proceedings, miles away from the bombast, meant in a good way, of the band's first three albums, yet the album is compiled from two years worth of sessions, so they worked on this thing forever. It takes the sum of its parts, a musical adaptation of a William Butler Yeats poem, renderings of the traditional When Will We Be Married, and Woody Guthrie's This Land Is Your Land, a cover of Sweet Thing from Van Morrison's classic Astral Weeks album, the country folk of the title track, and the nine lyrical minutes of Anna Bang on the Ear, and presents it as a remarkably cohesive and rewarding listen. And of course, it's still the Water Boys, so they don't completely dispose of the big music that I talked about. Uh, Songs like We Will Not Be Lovers and World Party, yes, it did give name to the uh, Wallinger band, uh, sound just as grand as anything that came before.
If you're new to the album, start with the 1988 original. And if you like it and you want to be fully immersed, pick up the 7-CD Deluxe Edition from 2013, which features a staggering 121 tracks from the album and its sessions. So there you have it, my number four, Fisherman's Blues by The Waterboys. All of our lists so far, I think, are pretty solid. That's an incredible record. I so. Lovely record. Oh my gosh, I think it... I... It was like one of my last ones that came off the list, actually. Almost a crossover there. Oh, yeah, it was close. And I had a feeling you might have been picking it. That's why I kind of stayed away from it. Dream Harder is also a really good record by them. Dream Harder is a very good record. Have you ever heard Glastonbury song? Yep. That's on that record. All right, well, we got to take a break, guys, on this Only Three Lads podcast. We've been through number five and number four of the top albums of 1988. We take breaks around here? We sure do. We got to take breaks. Okay. All right. Well, we got to find some sponsors to help pick up some some of the break times here. Absolutely. But we also have music news coming up, and we have a few other things. But we'll be back with our number three and number two on our list this week on the Only Three Lads podcast. We'll be back in two minutes. Life is random sometimes, and so is the way we pick our show topics. We've got oodles of topics, oodles I say, in a database and then let the computer do the work for us. But did you know that you can take part in that? If we land on a listener's choice and pick your suggestion, you'll not only be the envy of your friends, but you'll also get a cool O3L t-shirt. Listener Mike Basso gave us a great suggestion for the best cover versions of the O3L era. That's a great suggestion, Mike, so watch out for it in the future. Go to facebook.com slash only3lads, join the community, and give us your thoughts. Now back to the show. It's time for your Only Three Lads music news. Dave Grohl is thankful for first responders and medical personnel. The singer dedicated Foo Fighters song, My Hero, to those on the front lines at the I Heart Living Room Concert for America. What an awesome surprise. Nine Inch Nails drops two and a half hours of new material that becomes the first full-length album responses to COVID-19. Ghost 5 Together and Ghost 6 Locuses are free downloads on NIN.com. Critics say Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's twin instrumental albums perfectly capture the downward spiral of early 2020. And the sold-out Cruel World Festival is back on in L.A. The festival stacked with popular 80s new wave artists was postponed due to the coronavirus outbreak. The rescheduled date is Saturday, September 12th. Artists like Morrissey, Devo, Echo and the Bunnymen, Public Image Limited, and many more all still plan to be there. Are you a ghost too? I'm the ghost with the most, babe. Welcome back to the Only Three Lads podcast, where we take a look at the golden age of alternative music. Don't forget, tell your friends. This week, we're looking at our top five albums of 1988, and we're up to number three, and Bueno, you're up. My number three is by a band uh, that actually rattle and hums their music. I mean, they're amazing. This, this is a hybrid a live studio album by the Irish rock band U2, released October 10th, 1988. And actually, they made a film on this that was actually released a couple of weeks after that. Uh, not to the exact day, but to October 27th, 1988. And, you know, we all remember Joshua Tree, right? Yes. What a great record that was. Well, this was pretty pretty amazing in itself. And uh, the film actually only grossed like $8.6 million, but the record actually sold like 14 million copies. Desire was like the band's first number one UK hit. And hit number three in the United States, but uh, three other singles, Angels of Harlem, When Love Comes to Town, That's My Favorite, and All I Want Is You. 
Yeah, this, this record top to bottom was incredible. The movie was originally titled U2 and the Americas and the band planned the film in Chicago and Buenos Aires, gotta throw my name in there. I don't know why, why I did that, but just did it anyway. <laughs> uh, later in that year, and they decided to, that that Chicago venue wasn't suitable, so they went to the U2 used the Nichols Sports Arena in Denver to film following the success of Live at Red Rocks under a uh, blood red sky. And they'd been in Denver twice in four years and stuff, so they wanted to try to see if the lightning would hit again twice. cover of the Beatles, Helter Skelter. Yeah, made the hair on my arm stand straight up again. We're taking it back. Yeah. <laughs> and and he, he said, it was weird because he actually, he had, in a statement, he mentioned that uh, there's there, that song that uh, Charles Manson stole from the Beatles. It's, uh, he's stealing it back. This album hit number one on the charts and remained there for six weeks. In the first week in the UK, I think it sold like 360,000 copies and lifetime sales about 14 million. So uh, that's wow. my number three, U2, Rattle and Hum. That might even be a crossover maybe with you yeah. guys. That's the uh, the height of their American obsession, mm-hmm. obviously. And I know it gets a lot of flack for being what it is, which is a hodgepodge based on it being yep. a soundtrack. But but the new songs on that incredible. are just so uniformly incredible. Yeah, the whole album, anything up to that point, they're just amazing. Yeah, U2 had to make someone's list this week. They had to. Mm-hmm. Had to. I wasn't going to leave it off. If it was going to be a crossover, it was going to be a crossover. Don't fear the crossover. Yeah. Great minds think alike. So if we do have crossovers, it just means it's really good. So if you're out there listening, you know you got to check some of this music out. But we're up to my number three on the top five albums of 1988. And this album has made a list of mine in a previous episode of an Only Three Lads podcast. My number three is the Pixie Surfer Rosa. Of course, came out in March of 1988. Oh, no, you're being like Blur, like like Brett? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Hey, but, now. Hey, that's all right. But, that's a good thing. It's, it's a good thing. It's not a bad well, thing at I, all. It's bueno. You know, I talked about the Pixies in the past, and it was Doolittle that introduced me to the band in 89. But then when you go back, uh, this album really is the roadmap for grunge. Of course, Kurt Cobain, he said he structured his songs on uh, Nirvana's Nevermind album off this record. And we all know the influence Pixies had on Nirvana. But these songs are just full of discord and recklessness. But somehow the Pixies, they find a way to make it work. So it sounds purposeful, um, you know, putting together unconventional styles i just the pixies and then you have like cage the elephant that's been if you listen to early cage the elephant you can see that they listen to this uh, pixies album also but the pixies i can't say enough good things about them because they've been a band that i've listened to since 1989 so i guess that's 31 years so they had to make my list of the top five albums of 1988 
They did it. So that's my number three. Another great and record. Well deserved. It is a great record. Oh yeah, that's right. Almost. You were the guy walking out of Tempe uh, Zia Records there, Greg, with a handful of Pixies. I bet that one day. Oh. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I probably was because I, I used to really enjoy after I found that Doolittle. It was just again, I grew up in a neighborhood where it was lower middle class, blue collar. Everybody was into the Def Leppard and into the White Snake and White Lions and you know all the whites that they had. You know the white. <laughs> whatever fill in the blank bands um and i like some of that stuff too yeah. but i also then listen to b-52s i also listen yeah. to the pixies you know smiths morrissey and that of course made, made me the weird guy but i didn't care because it didn't bother me i just knew what i liked and looking back i was right and everybody else was wrong so it makes me even feel better about it yeah just like that us festival that i went to in 82 and 83 uh, people just don't realize how many bands that i checked off my bucket list back then and uh how lucky i was yeah no, yeah because well, that that us festival the 83 i remember seeing it on mtv oh my i God. think 82 yep. it really wasn't i mean it was like a local thing there in socal but then it became big and then it kind of disappeared it lost a lot of money in 83 yeah but yep. that was a great concert it was like again if we had a time machine i'd put us all three in it we can go there and i was there so 50 cent beers how, how much were beers at that festival, uh, probably like three and a half, four bucks. See, that would be a steal now. Yeah, huh? Still expensive yeah. back then, yeah. but a <laughs> steal. Yeah. They weren't five bucks. I know that. So. Yeah. Well, now they're like nine, fifteen, mm -hmm. whatever they are now. Yep. That's why you got to get drunk before. Yep. So I'm glad I don't drink beer. Yeah. Yep. Well, it, well, you, uh, Brett, you don't drink beer. You rent beer. It okay. goes in one end and right out the other. <laughs> so Good we're up point. to your number three, Brett, on this week. Top five albums right. of 1988. All right. Well, my uh, number three is a uh, lost cassette of home recordings by Blur. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> what? Ikea, I'm sorry. Ikea. I didn't hear that again. Who? <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. So my number three is an album that I consider to be one of the most underrated and forgotten pop gems of the 80s. The Primitives debut album, Lovely. And yes, it is lovely. Uh, 14 insanely catchy songs buzz by in 35 minutes or 15 songs in under 39 minutes if you have a second pressing with the post LP single way behind me added. Most people listening to this program probably know their most popular single Crash, uh, which is the lead track on this album and hit number five on the UK singles chart and number three on the Billboard Modern Rock chart. But the album is far more than Crash surrounded by a bunch of filler. sounds of 60s girl group and British pop are filtered through the buzzsaw guitars of 80s UK indie. Kind of like Blondie or the Go-Go's meet the Jesus and Mary chain. And it predates the Ravenettes by more than a decade. Uh, check out the major label remakes of early self-release singles Through the Flowers and Stop Killing Me, as well as the psychedelic tinge Shadow and the spectacular pop melodies of Spacehead, Nothing Left, and I'll Stick With You. Anchored by the appealing vocals of singer Tracy Tracy and guitar work and occasional vocals of Paul Court, it is not possible. I challenge you to be unhappy while you listen to this record.
The album did well, actually, hitting number six on the UK charts and hit number 106 in the US and stayed on the charts for nine weeks, which is actually pretty respectable compared to their like-minded peers at the time. Morrissey was even spotted in a Primitives t-shirt at the time to give them extra cool cred. However, their commercial fortunes soon declined and the band was done by 1992. But there's a happy ending. Thankfully, the band reconvened in 2009 and over the past decade have toured extensively and have released two albums and an EP worth of new music. And Cherry Red Records, the ever-reliable Cherry Red, has just released a five-CD compendium of their work from 85 to 92, which hopefully gives this band the reappraisal that they deserve. But this album is the absolute starting point and my number three album of 1988, Lovely by the Primitives. Good, good one. one. Really good one. It's a good one. All right, Bueno, we're at our silver medalist now for the top five albums of 88. So this is now getting real. What's your number two? Uh, yeah, it is getting real. We almost lost this one guy here like a year and a half ago. Uh, Love Hysteria, released in March of 1988. Uh, he is actually off, often called the godfather of goth, uh, Peter Murphy. His most elegant post-Bajas uh, efforts to date uh, with Paul Stahem. I mean, so much Bowie echo through this this record and, and late uh, 70s Berlin era, like uh, Ziggy Glam. His music with the flair, his voice, I mean, all night long was something of an American breakthrough hit, but the rest of the record, I mean, if you guys have never heard this thing top to bottom, you're missing out on a masterpiece. And I mean, he is just an amazing piece of work, what he puts together and how he puts his music together. I don't know how he does it, but what he puts together is is an amazing piece of work. And the rec record was definitely not successful in the UK, although in the US it actually performed better than his previous solo re releases, All Night Long, Indigo Eyes. Uh, I know you get both have heard that, but a lot of people might not have. And, the highest this record ever charted in the U.S. was 135, and not too bueno for an incredible piece of bueno music. I mean, this this thing is great. And, uh... That's my number two, Peter Murphy, Love Hysteria. Great piece of work. I have not heard that album in years. Oh, oh you got to re revisit this record. Yeah. Oh, my word. I think everybody should, because I think that with uh, Peter Murphy, most people didn't really know who he was, especially as a solo artist, until Cut You Up. Yep. Mm -hmm. That was, what, two years after this, right? Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah, so going back and checking things out. Oh, that's a great one. Great one. All right. Well, we are at my number two here on the only three lads podcast and if you've ever been hurt or betrayed which we all have been i have you will connect I we have. all have we all have <gasps> right now a lot of us can't go outside we're betrayed by the sun right now we're by the air by microbes and so uh, but if you've ever had that ever done to you my number two viva hate from morrissey is for you now of course this album gave us the singles every day like sunday suede head we all know those songs and some people say this is the best album morrissey 
had ever been a part of, and that's including the Smiths. And I remember back in 1988, uh, kind of liking Morrissey in my neighborhood wasn't really cool because people didn't know what to make of him because he wasn't, you know, like the hair band type, you know, drink beer and have sex with as many women as you can. This guy talked about celibacy and he'd rather curl up with a good book than somebody else. And so he was different. But what a great album. Again, if you haven't heard this album in a long time, you're going to pick up some things that you probably didn't pick up in the past. But that's my number two, Viva Hate from Morrissey of our top five albums of 1988. Morrissey had better hair than yeah. the hair bands. Well, maybe. And but his I music top so. to bottom on that record is just wildly amazing. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. People. Yeah. And that all came from this miss had just broke up, right? Bueno? Yep. Yep. Uh, just they had just yep. broken up. And I mean, top to bottom on that record, guys. Yep. Great album. And what some people don't realize some of those early Morrissey singles, like um, Interesting Drug, mm -hmm. it's basically. Queen is Dead tour era Smiths minus Johnny Marr. Correct. Because you have uh, uh, Craig Gannon and Mike Joyce and Andy Rourke on on that single. So good choice, Uncle Greg. Yes. Thank you. All right. Well, you're up to number two, Brett. What is it? All right. So, so there are a few albums in recorded popular music history that occupy a space all of their own. Singular albums where the complete listening experience is so immersive they have the power to transport you to an entirely different place and plane, and the album must absolutely be consumed as a whole. The 1968 Van Morrison album I mentioned earlier, Astral Weeks, is one of those albums. Tim Buckley's Star Sailor is another example. Sierra Rosa's 1999 album that I won't, again, try to pronounce is another one of those albums. And my number two album of 1988 is another on that elite list, and that is Spirit of Eden by Talk Talk released in September of 1988. If your familiarity with Talk Talk begins and ends with songs like It's My Life and Talk Talk, then you must listen to Spirit of Eden. It is nothing like those earlier pop singles. Listen in the dark and give it your full concentration and attention because it's certainly a challenging album, but it's one that will reward you with music of a rare beauty and intensity. In fact, most of the album was recorded in darkness, so it seems like quite an appropriate way to listen to it. Now, I can only imagine what fans in 1988 were thinking when the needle hit the groove and the lead track, The Rainbow, starts off like something off of an avant-garde jazz record. The six long-form songs on this album were shaped from hours of improvised sessions and is the launch pad for what later became known as post-rock, incorporating elements of ambient music, jazz, classical, and blues with glacially paced art rock. 
It's hard to imagine bands like Radiohead, Tortoise, Sear Rose, Bark Psychosis, or Mogwai existing, at least in the same way without this album. Many critics didn't catch on at first. In fact, I remember a particularly scathing one-star review in the early 90s version of the Rolling Stone record guide, which along with the Trouser Press record guide was my Bible at the time. But in the intervening 32 years, those critics went from scratching their heads to tripping over themselves with praise. When we lost frontman Mark Hollis in 2019, we lost a visionary genius. So for a spiritual, atmospheric work of art that still sounds way ahead of its time, my number two is Spirit of Eden by Talk Talk. Incredible record. He's, yeah, that was a bummer. I remember that day. Yeah, that one is just a stunner. And then the 1991 follow-up Laughing Stock is cut from the same cloth. And then uh, Mark Hollis only released one other album, a solo album. And that was it. He retired. I've heard them all. I love them all. Yeah, and we almost had a crossover there. I almost put that on my uh, list. It was on. Ah, it was right out of my close. top ten. That and the Water Boys. That, that and the Water Boys. Boys. Yep. I thought Morrissey would definitely be one of the uh, crossovers. Okay. Maybe it is. Yeah, I was almost there, and the Church was almost there for me. Yeah, those two All I right. kept well, up he- for that reason. And the Pixies. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Look at that. See, <laughs> it's close. It's close. But see, we're all three different. We all have three different kind of uh, lenses that we look through, what we remember, and that's what's cool. We're all discovering new stuff. Yeah, we're kind of like all of a sudden knowing like what we're going to pick, so we kind of stay away from those picks in a sense for not having crossovers. Because the whole thing is we want to introduce everybody to different music. We don't want to all pick the same 15. Sure. I think we're all so different, though. I don't think we're ever going to have the same list of 15. I don't think that will ever happen. No, not entirely. No. All right. Well, guys, we got to take another break. Of course, we are counting down our top five albums of 1988 here on the Only Three Lads podcast. When we come back in two and two, we'll be going through our number one. So stick around. Be bueno. Well, once we're able to start going to concerts again, here's a good one if you've got about three or $4,000 burning a hole in your pocket. The fourth annual 80s in the Sand takes place in Playa Mujeres, Mexico, from October 25th to October 30th. For the price, you get a five-night, all-inclusive stay at a luxury resort and entry into the festival. The lineup includes Billy Idol, Cheap Trick, Belinda Carlisle, Howard Jones, Dramarama, and more, and is hosted by former MTV VJs Alan Hunter, Downtown Julie Brown, and Mark Goodman, and Bueno's buddy, Richard Blade. And that's the news of the world. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us and escaping COVID-19 with us here on the Only Three Lads podcast, where we take a look at the golden age of alternative music. This week, we're taking a look at our top five albums of 1988. Brett Bueno, we're up to our number ones. This is going to be exciting to see what you guys pick. Extraordinarily. So, Bueno? What is your number one this week? My number one is a third studio record by an English pop duo band released on October 10th, 1988 by Polyphone. And it was actually their second best-selling records and uh, with over five, almost 5 million uh, copies worldwide. And uh, perhaps you know some of their music. Uh, one of them actually, one of their big songs, Trevor Horn produced, Left on My Own Devices, uh, The Pet Shop Boys. And uh, uh-huh. that, that actual song itself took months to produce. I mean, that's a 
pretty good record and boy the music and sound that they put together on that album uh yeah, no wonder it took a couple months to produce I could The album has unusual and different type of pro uh, progress made, which uh, Pop and Dance acts release singles. Instead, they released album-length singles, three to five minutes long, and then uh, releasing the lengthy remixes of those songs on different singles. The album itself actually uh, consisted of songs that lasted six minutes or more. Tracks released as singles were uh, issued shorter but more radio-friendly mixes of the four tracks released on that single, Left to My Own Devices, Domino Dancing, Always On My Mind, and uh, It's All Right, which actually, uh, none of them were actually released as a radio single in the same format as they appeared on the album, so because of the lengthwise and stuff. So, incredible record. I don't know if everybody heard this thing, but uh, top to bottom, those six, six tracks are amazing to listen to, Neil Tennant. Uh, is just an amazing individual, the, the two of them together. I mean, they've had some great success. Their new stuff just came out is still incredible. I mean, to this day, how many years later, uh, this record actually peaked at number two on the UK album chart, of course, behind uh, U2's Rattle and Hum. And uh, that's my number one, Pet Shop Boys, Introspective. Great pick. Very nice. Yeah. Almost a crossover again. Yeah. Somebody just was about thinking. made my list. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, here with, with the top five albums of 88, Here's my number one. Of course, uh, last week we took a look at top artists between 1990 and 1994. This guy topped my list last week, and he's topping my list again this week. Oh, Harold no. Farrell. Oh, no. Yes. Jane's Addiction, Nothing Shocking. That album, of course, gave us the big songs that everybody knows, The Mountain Song and Jane Said. Those were the big hits. But this is the album that really started the internal fractions in the band. They were fighting over royalties. But even though that they broke up while recording Nothing Shocking, uh, they really got back together and they really put everything together and performed as passionate musicians. And if you go back and listen to this album now, uh, you can see that it was forward-thinking and it, really, you can see how many alternative bands came to be because of this album in 1988. Uh, I just remember when it came out, it was so different and Again, there was the hair bands that were all over the radio, and that's what everybody liked. And, you know, guys were wearing makeup. And then this is when the, uh, you know, a rock band started going acoustic so they could seem like they're real musicians. And, you know, the girls liked it so they could care less. They would do whatever it took. But when then this came out, it was a real good punch in the mouth. And that's why I was so attracted to it.
That's my number one album of 1988, Jane's Addiction, Nothing Shocking. Sonic Punch in the Mouth. And you know what? It's it's Perry's birthday today. Is it really? Yeah. You didn't read my post today. Oh, I am so offended. March 29th? Yes, I am so offended, both you lads. You didn't read my post. I saw your post. I know you did. Well, I woke up this morning, my brain was on fire. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Didn't sleep enough. I just love razzing you guys. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, that's a great record. Oh, nice one. All right, Brett, you're up with your number one. All right. Uh, So, now's the point of the uh, show where we play the game. Can anybody guess what Brett's number one is? Uh, I don't know. Is it Blur? It's not. It's not Blur. Blur didn't release anything. They were still Seymour in 1988. (laughs) Could it be the replacements? Did they have something? No. No, they did not. They were 87 and then 89. They bounced over a year. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, my number one choice of 1988 is a record that NME simply called one of the greatest albums of all time. It is the gorgeous 16 Lovers Lane by The Go-Betweens, released in August 1988. Of course, if you've listened to this podcast, you know I'm a huge fan of this band and have grown so intimately familiar with their albums over 25 years of listening to them that this album feels as warm and comfortable as a fuzzy blanket. Okay, hold on. Yes. Side by side, yes. Blur and Go-Betweens. What, what if you had them both in the room? Which way would you go? I mean, you can't go 50-50. You got to go one way or the other. And if you don't go that way, you know, so. You, you, you can't make me pick such things well, can you yep sure did just now okay let's say the go-betweens <laughs> and the blur they're in the pool drowning you can only save one band thanks uncle say? greg oh let's just put them on gosh. top of like a 500 story building yes you know yeah. the, as influential as as blur was to me you know in the in the 90s and beyond the go-betweens just possess a special magic for me okay and that's part of the magic of this album you know, it, it cuts a direct line from the music to your heart and soul. And, you know, part of the warmth that I mentioned was literal by design. Uh, the band ditched the cold gloom of London that it informed most of their albums up to this point and returned them to their native Australia for the recording of 16 Lovers Lane. The band aimed for an intimate, crisp, summery vibe, but there's a reason why this album has been referred to as the indie version of Rumors. Inner band relationships had created a push-and-pull dynamic that gave the record a similar emotional heft to the Fleetwood Mac classic. Grant McLennan and multi-instrumentalist Amanda Brown were in the throes of their romance, which was McLennan's first serious relationship, so most of McLennan's songs reflect that certain contentness and occasional discontent of being in love. Robert Forster, on the other hand, having ended his own relationship with drummer Lindy Morrison, is a bit more somber and desolate. His heartbreak clearly reflected in songs like Clouds and Die for Your Memory. What I hear you say That we stood no chance I'll die for your memory And we stood that chance And the production process was laborious and frustrating. Morrison particularly was disgruntled at the increasing use of drum machines over live drums, but both because of and in spite of the combination of joy and tension, 
We are left with an unflinchingly honest record from beginning to end, all wrapped up in a tidy package of perfect pop songs held together by Amanda Brown's beautiful aching string and oboe arrangements. And one of those perfect pop songs was uh, Streets of Your Town, which was actually, uh, I think last year, voted in as the greatest Australian song of all time. For the encapsulation of the band's self-defined striped sunlight sound that still resonates on many levels, my number one is the go-between 16 Lovers Lane. One I'll have to check out. Okay, that explains that between that and Blur. Yeah, Blur's (laughs) dead. Blur's dead. Sorry, Blur. Not dead. Yeah, sorry, Blur. (laughs) Go-betweens. Brett picks them. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's go down our list of the top five albums of 1988. Bueno, give us your five. Okay. Number five, The Sugar Cubes, uh, Life's Too Good. Number four, R.E.M. Green. Number three, U2, Rattle and Hum. Number two, Peter Murphy, Love Hysteria. And number one, The Pet Shop Boys, Introspective. And for Uncle Greg, number five was Lincoln by They Might Be Giants. Number four is the album Starfish from the Church. Pixies, Surfer Rosa at number three. Number two, Viva Hate by Morrissey. And my number one album of 1988 was Jane's Addiction, Nothing Shocking. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. All right. And my relatively, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Absolutely amazing. list. (laughs) <laughs> is uh, number five, the Lilac Times self-titled debut album. Number four, the Waterboys, Fisherman's Blues. Number three, the Primitives, Lovely. Number two, Talk Talk, Spirit of Eden. And number one, the go-between 16 Lovers Lane. Awesome. I think we all had great list. Yeah. I think week. we did too. And no yeah. crossover in sight. Yeah. No, but almost though, but a lot of the same thinking, but no crossover yep. this week. Uh, yep. In our top 10, I think there would have been some crossovers. Oh, definitely. There have been a couple, three or four, maybe. Oh, for sure. Yep. For sure. Yep. For sure. All right, Brett, we got to hit the only three lads randomizer to see what we're doing next week. All right, let's hit it. Are we ready? Yes, sir. Ready. And here we go. No whammy. Let Wilbur. <laughs> you, you are a little hoarse today. Uh-huh. That's what I'm saying. Okay, so the randomizer has landed on the top five albums that beat the sophomore slump. So, in other words, the best second albums. Okay. How are we feeling with that? That can be uh, any any year during the O3L period of 74 to 99. Sounds great. A 25-year period. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of research this week we'll have to do. Best second albums. Yep. yep. Well, there's always the the sophomore slump stigma, so we know that there are some very good albums out there that that beat that. Oh, for sure. I know a couple right off the top of my head. All right. Well, hey, if you're out there listening, go to our Facebook page, the Only Three Lads page. You can give your top five albums of 1988 or your top five albums, the second albums that beat the sophomore slump, and make sure and tell all of your friends about us. So we'll be back next week with the best second albums. Uh, anything else you guys need to say? Heck, give us your top fives on on anything. Yep. Don't be that's, shy. That's great. You're being yeah, too shy we, out there, people. Come on. Yep. I'm not yep. shy. We love to- yeah. Even suggestions for yeah. the top five. Sure. We'll we, we love the feedback and we love giving shout outs on the show. Yeah. So and we're not going to let you sit, you know? No. Yeah. The heck no. Uh-huh. I was just thinking how appropriate it was that we've hit uh, 77, we've hit 99, and now we're doing 88. So we've hit all the double digits and uh, this being our eighth show, it's very appropriate. Yeah. So 
Kind of weird how that hit. So today, probably play daily three, 888 today, anywhere in the world. <laughs> well, eight's a good number, right? Yeah. Isn't that supposed to be a good number? It is. It's lucky. supposed to be like a winning number. If man is five, if man is five, yeah. if then the, devil the devil is six, is six. If, yeah. then God is God seven. seven. Then God I, don't, I don't think there was an eight, was there? I don't believe so. Okay. Well, now the song's playing. See, I'm, I'm having the internal dialogue in my head, and I'm listening to the song. So okay, well, we got to wrap this but show up, guys. So Yeah. All right. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, everybody, we just need to say, stay safe. Be very smart about this uh, coronavirus. I can't even say it because I want it so bad gone. And uh, I just want to keep sending out the love to everybody and, you know. Be bueno. The theme music is Frequency, written and performed by yours truly, Brett Vargo. Any other music in this episode is presented solely for purposes of review, examination, and news reporting. If you like what you hear, go to your record store and pick up the LP, CD, cassette, or 8-track, or stream it if you're one of those newfangled fancy pants. If we're lucky enough to still have these artists with us, go out and see some live music. For the latest updates, join the O3L community at facebook.com slash only3lads. We want to hear from you. And while you're at it, click on the Shop Now link for the coolest threads. Until next time, thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.